that night that Jesus was going to the cross was just like this time we're in right now. It was full of angst, it was full of tension, it was full of trial, it was full of sorrow, it was full of loneliness. Where is God in this? Friends, I wanna tell you where God is. He's here right now. He's in the journey with you right now. Satan tempts your faith. Jesus tests our faith. Satan's goal is to shipwreck you. Jesus' goal is to give you life, to stretch you out, and to cause you to grow. We are so glad you joined us this weekend. We are blessed. Are we not blessed? I mean, times are wild, things are crazy, but we are blessed. So I wanna tell you today we have a guest speaker. We never have a guest speaker the week after Easter, but this year is different. Every year is different, right? So this year is gonna be different for us. We have a friend, a friend of Gail and mine's that has just become a dear friend of ours. His name's Jedediah Thurner. And Jedediah has this huge passion for the world. We kind of kept crashing into each other uh, in different places of the world. I would be on one side of the world and his name would come up and he would be on the other side of the world, my name would come up. And so we ended up finally meeting, connecting and having a relationship. But Jen and I, like we at Water of Life has a passion for the world, a passion for the lost, a passion for the hurting. He, along with Dominic Russo and their team leading an organization called Missions Me, that's a, a missions organization is just touching the world in huge ways right now. Jedediah is passionate about empowering the church to reach and touch people. He's, he's passionate about touching the lost. He's passionate about reaching nations just like we are, Water of Life. He's worked in several of the countries that we work in and other countries, many other countries that we've not been to, but he partners with thousands of churches all over the world. Uh, he sent people all over the world with Missions Me, touching nations, reaching people, touching the lost, caring for the poor, the needy, and the hurting. He, along with Dominic, are behind the historic One Nation, One Day outreach in Los Angeles that a lot of you are aware of, that is uh, something we've been talking about here at Water of Life and is coming. I'm not sure exactly when it's coming, but it's coming. They have a vision that to assemble the largest outreach ever in the history of Los Angeles. It's an incredible thing. Their team started in 2013, launched their first One Nation, One Day event in, a, in Honduras and followed that with Dominican Republic and Nicaragua in 2017, recently in Peru in 2019. And Jedediah has been married to the love of his life, Amber, for uh, 14 years, and they have four kids. <laughs> four kids, that's a lot of kids, yeah. He's got four kids, he has just a brand new baby, uh, uh, Grayson Graham, is that right, Jedediah, Grayson Graham? Brand, like three months now? Six weeks. Wow, six weeks. So I'm just so excited to have you meet my friend today. He's going to be a friend of our church. He's going to be part of our church's life. And I want you to watch a little video here that will introduce him to you before we begin. I hope you have a great, great, great weekend. I think you're going to be blessed by the word he's going to bring you right now. Let's watch the video, and then he'll come up and give him a big welcome, even though he can't hear you. Amen? Nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah asked a question. Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a country be changed in a moment? We believe this audacious question has been answered. 
In late 2011, President Lobo Sosa of Honduras opened the doors of his government to a new missions era. The nation, overrun by violence, was desperate for hope. After two years of strategic planning and preparation, One Nation, One Day was born. In July of 2013, the largest missions team in history gathered in Miami, filled three chartered 747s, and were strategically placed in every state across Honduras, with a goal to reach every person in the entire nation. For one week, medical brigades, humanitarian teams, school ministry teams, and national leaders' conferences impacted hundreds of thousands of Hondurans. At the end of the week, Honduras gathered in the 18 largest stadiums in 18 cities simultaneously for a moment that would shift the course of the entire nation. Father in heaven, we invite your kingdom to come to the nation of Honduras. In a moment, the global church stepped into a new missions era. In 2015, the One Nation, One Day vision spread to the Dominican Republic. The world watched again as One Nation, One Day forged top-level government partnerships and the national church united for the salvation of their nation. In 2017, the momentum across the globe erupted as missionaries from 33 nations spread out across the nation of Nicaragua and reached one in every seven Nicaraguans face-to-face -face with the gospel. In 2019, One Nation, One Day expanded to a new continent with a new model Model built for a nation of 32 million, demonstrating unprecedented unity in the global church. Peruvian teams joined hands with the largest team of international missionaries to date to become the change in their nation. Together, over 10,000 missionaries and volunteers reached 1.1 million Peruvians face-to-face -face in schools, clinics, clean water sites, and stadiums across the nation. The years following One Nation, One Day campaigns have been marked by measurable transformation. Government leaders collaborate to create solutions to national social issues like gang violence, domestic violence, education, and unity. Follow-up campaigns organically birthed within each nation have marked the sustainability of this new missions era. An era where the global church would unite for the salvation and transformation of entire nations. An era where every person, in every city, in every school, every home, every street corner across the nation can have a face-to-face -face encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Great Commission was not simply that the church would grow, but that the church would lead. The church united is going to do what the world divided could never do. Can a nation be saved in a day? Yes, it can. Such an honor be to be with you, Water of Life. Wherever you're watching, I want you to get comfortable as we just spend a few moments together and have an incredible conversation. And it's amazing to think, for those of you that are watching today, that are tuning in, that have been a part of this community for maybe months, years, or for decades, to think of God's faithfulness on the leaders that he's appointed over this house, you know, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, 17 people in a Bible study is where Pastor Dan and Gail started. And now think 30 years later with multiple locations, multiple services on a weekend, thousands, thousands that would call this place home. It's unbelievable to think what God's done. And it's really because of leaders who've been willing to risk everything to do whatever's been in God's heart. And I just want you to know, for those of you that consider this community home, you have been blessed to have generals of our generation. It is an honor for me, for my wife, and for my team to actually now be introduced to the Water of Life family, to such incredible leaders. 
and to really be a part of our lives. And so I just want to thank you, Water of Life, for being so faithful for what you've done, serving your communities, serving nations, taking care of the poor, the orphan, the widow. This is a church that's on the move. It's not a church that get, just gathers on Sundays, but it's a church that's been scattering on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and every day of the week all around the world. And for those of you that are tuning in that maybe today, if you're being honest, you might just be exploring faith, or a better way to put it, you're simply exploring. Maybe you're flicking through a channel right now, a, a friend told you to tune in, and you're just out there exploring. Maybe you're looking for an edge in life. Maybe you're looking for a word of inspiration, something that would give you a shift or a change. And if you're just out there looking, I want to tell you about the community that you're tuning in with. First, I want you to know this. The community that you're watching with right now, thousands of people online, all around the world, all around Southern California, that this community, their posture and position is this. You do not have to believe to belong, to be a part of this family, that you need to know that there's a group of people watching with you that are willing for you to be a part of this family and trust the journey that God would have you on in your life. You don't have to believe to belong, but you actually can be a part of this family. You can start tuning in regularly. You can start watching all the incredible messages and the positive initiatives this community is about, even if you don't completely share the same beliefs at this stage in life. And if we were to be honest, it would be foolish for me to think that you watching, just exploring faith or out there exploring, to come to some of the conclusions that I have without the experiences that I've had. I have an incredible journey with Jesus in my lifetime and it would be foolish for me to think that after a few minutes you could completely believe everything that I believe so there's space and grace for you to take your own journey towards discovering faith. I'd also want you to know about this family that you're tuning in with, those that are viewing with you, is that they're actually just like you. I know I've been at home before watching something online and thought, am I the only one in this position of life? Am I the only one dealing with this struggle or with this problem or trying to figure out this question or, 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 or trying to get hope or trying to get answers? You need to know the community you're watching with is actually just like you. This community is made up of different ages, different races, different backgrounds, different social statuses. This is a group of people that also have issues and challenges and trials and struggles, and they're simply trying to figure out how to continue to take a step towards Jesus. So the good news is you get to be you. You don't have to be someone you're not. You don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to filter your life so that it could be palatable. But we actually believe in a God that loves you, not the future version of you, not just a restored version of you or a better version of you, but actually is madly in love with you right now with all your stuff, with all the packages that come with your life. And that's the community you're joining with. And I'm excited to spend some moments with this community and with you. And today we're going to be talking about faith over fear. We're going to be talking about faith over fear. Now, I think the word fear is something that every human being, all seven billion plus human beings on the planet right now could all relate with, can all resonate with. We're all having to process how do we handle fears and what are we really afraid of? Are we afraid of, of getting the disease? Are we afraid of ever getting a job back? Are we afraid of, uh, is the economy going to be restored or be returned? And, and the reality is, is we all are dealing with this thing called fear, and I believe that we can actually have faith over fear, and I believe that wherever you're at in your journey right now, that this is going to help you, and you're going to leave here with hope and with positive, practical steps to see faith win in your life and fear lose in your life. Tell you a little bit about myself, as you've heard, I, I have been married 
uh, for 15 years to the same woman. She's beautiful, and uh, she's helped create four incredible kids. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I have a six-year-old son, a three-year-old son. And as Pastor Dan said, I have a six-week-old son as well. This is why I look like this. I look like I have not been sleeping. And to make matters even more exciting, we are all covid 19 in it at home. So there's more kids, and there's more homeschooling. And I got to be honest, as I started adding these kids to my life, especially this last one, because no one gets excited when you tell them you're having four kids. Like when you tell people, hey, we're pregnant, it's our first kid, every random stranger's excited. You know, the barista at Starbucks, you know, a gas attendant, you're like, oh, my wife's pregnant with her first kid. And everyone's like, that's awesome. And then you say, hey, we're pregnant with our second kid. And people are like, oh, oh yeah. And, and then like, hey, we're having our third kid. And they're like, hmm. And then when you tell people you're having your fourth kid, they're like, Who's your pastor? Like, do you have any accountability in your life? Like, have you, have you figured this thing out? You should start a humanitarian note card, feed the children, because you have these four kids. And I quickly realized that the, the, the current uh, mindset and perspective I have towards loving one person was gonna increase drastically as I'm trying to now love five other human beings. And I read this book, uh, it's called The Five Lung Languages. It's by Gary Chapman. And, and he walks through these, these different love languages that every human being responds to. So the, the five love languages are, are acts of service, their gifts. I wish my wife's love language was gifts, but it's not, unfortunately. Uh, there's quality time. Um, there's, there's words of encouragement. And uh, I can't remember the other one because it doesn't matter. My kids don't have it anyways. And as I read this book, I quickly realized that my family did not fit into any of these five categories. I thought that their love language was quality time, but I quickly realized that my family, as they would, invented a sixth love language. That's right, Gary needs to change his book. And the sixth love language is not quality time, it's quality attention. It's quality attention. I quickly realized that it was no longer enough for me simply to be in the room with my family or to be watching the movie with my family or to be at the park with my family, but that my kids, including my wife, literally didn't just want quality time with me, they wanted constant, quality attention. And before COVID, my life looked like I was on a plane almost every week communicating somewhere around the world. So if you can imagine, it's very hard to give your family quality time, let alone quality attention with my current lifestyle. And every time I'd come home, this is what my life has been like. And for many of you, you could relate. You walk in the door and it's dad, 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 dad. Dad, and it's not just like, Dad, come hang out with me, or Dad, come sit on the couch with me. It's Dad, watch me. Dad, look at me. Dad, check how I'm making this airplane. Dad, watch me hit this ball. Dad, look at me run. Dad, and then my wife's in the background as my kids are going, Dad, 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 and Anaya's going, Dad, and Dalen's going, Dad, and now the new baby's going, hey, I can't even say Dad, but you know he's thinking Dad, and he wants me to look at him too, and then my wife's in the background, and she's going, babe, babe, and I'm literally walking in the house going, yes, I'm looking at you, and yes, I'm looking at you, and yes, you have my attention, and that's why I look so exhausted. I'm constantly trying to give these kids in my wife, quality attention. And a few months ago, before this crisis took out, I was traveling as usual. Remember the days when we could go to airports and get on airplanes and go wherever we want? And I was at the checkout count counter and I heard her familiar voice. I actually thought that my six-year-old boy had gotten in an Uber, because he would, he could, and had driven to the airport, followed me to the airport, because I heard a familiar phrase and it was off in the distance about nine check-in counters down the way. And I heard the words, Dad! Dad, 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 dad. And I look over there and there is another five, six-year-old boy trying to get his dad's attention. And this is going on for minutes. Dad, 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 dad. And of course, now multiple attendants are looking at him, other people checking in and passengers are looking at him. Everyone's like, dad, please give your kid attention. And I'm sitting there nine counters down and I'm like, dad, for the sake of humanity, 
and the peace of this airport, would you please just give your son a little attention? And in that moment, I gotta be honest with you, I, I actually felt, now I don't know how God speaks to you, but I, I felt this sense in my spirit, I just felt this, this, this internal thought, and it was really for me, this is how God speaks to me, I actually heard these words. He said, this is a picture, this dad and this kid, this is a picture of me and humanity. And I step back and I go, wow, that's right, because you, you're not just God and you're not just creator, you're, you're father. Like you've given us permission, not just to be servants, but to be sons and to, and to be daughters. You've actually brought us into this adoption and you are a dad and, and that's true. But what God said next to me shocked me. He said, Jedediah, for what I'm trying to teach you and what I wanna teach my people, I am not the dad in this picture. I'm actually the son. I am the son who is constantly trying to get your attention. And he actually went on to say these words. See, what you don't understand is that Jedediah, and for everyone watching, wherever you're at, humanity has forever, endlessly, have had all of God's attention. From the moment he spoke man into existence, from the moment he gave meaning motion in the form of mankind, you got to understand from that moment, we are God's unique possession. And this is not a God who's mad at us, but he's madly in love with us. And from that moment, he's been constantly fixated, infatuated, and focused and captivated on us. He knows us. He knows everything about us. He's never stopped watching us. And, and, I, and I love what David, who you might know as the giant killer, or the kid who becomes the king, David begins to write this song in, in Psalms 139. And, and he begins to just, and I'm going to paraphrase, he literally begins to say from his heart's core, he says, you know everything about me. He literally in this moment just, just pondered all of humanity, all of creation and the creator. And he said, you know what, you know everything you, you know my comings and my goings. You, you're actually in front of me, he says. I encourage you to do your own biblical due diligence, he says, and you're behind me. He says, there's nothing that I could do to escape your love. I could go to the darkest depths of the world and your love and your presence would still be there. And I could go to the highest hill and you would still find me. Even when I was in my mother's womb, imagine this. You might not have been something that your parents wanted, but you need to understand something, friend. You didn't come from your parents. You came through your parents. You were actually God's idea. You're God's original design. So whether you're adopted or whether you're abandoned or whether you're given up, you need to know that God knew you from the moment you were created and he was watching you grow and be developed. He's been forever focused, captivated, infatuated, and fixated on you, which means we have all of God's attention. Can I tell you something right now? You might feel lonely at home. You might feel hopeless. You might feel overlooked. You might feel marginalized. You might feel like there's no answer. Let me tell you something. God is not a God who's just on your side, but right now physically, he is by your side and he knows everything about you. You have all of God's attention. The question that he asked me and the question that I'm asking you, God has given us all of his attention, the question is, does he have any or all of ours? Does he have any or all 
of our attention. Because what I've realized for my life is the moment that God finally gets our attention, I don't know what that journey was like for you, friend. Maybe it was going to a Bible study. Maybe it was coming to an Easter service. Maybe it was just tuning in and watching a communicator online. Maybe it was just something in creation that spoke to you or there was a season where you know there was just more clarity in your, your identity and your divine design. That moment that God finally got your attention for me, that's the moment when our life actually begins to matter. When God finally gets your attention, that's the moment when you live, move from moving a life of the mundane to moving to a life of the miraculous. When God finally gets your attention, that's when you stop living a life of survival and you start living a life of significance. When God gets your attention, that's when you stop wandering and wondering and posturing and pondering, and now you take steps of fulfillment and steps of purpose, and every step and every breath has validity and has life because it's connected to eternity beyond this single moment. That's what happens. When God finally gets our attention. And if you were to think about it, for those that are watching today that would align themselves with being considered a Christ follower and a believer, isn't this where our salvation, our transformation, our new life story started? When God finally got our attention. It's that moment when you finally got a glimpse of that painful cross stained with his perfect blood. It's that moment when you finally started to grasp in our limited understanding the, the scandal that we now call grace and this love that we call irrational and unconditioned. It's that moment when we turned our attention off of our past and onto his plan. We turned our attention off of our pain and onto his promise. That's when we had turned our attention off of our sin and off of our shame and onto our savior and onto our salvation. This is where my journey started and for those first followers of Jesus, the disciples as they're known, these 12 average individuals who didn't have it all right, who constantly misrepresent Jesus, who, to be honest, are more like us than we really realize, this is where their journey started. It was one day where Jesus looked at each and every one of them and he said, hey, hey, follow me. He captured their attention. I love what these early disciples did, which could speak to us thousands of years later. When God got their attention, here's what happened. It says they turned away from and they turned towards. When God in the form of Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago and said, hey, I'm calling you, come follow me. I have a plan for you. The Bible tells us that they actually left what they knew. They turned away from and they actually turned towards Jesus. See, this is so significant because the reality is there's many people out there that are just searching and maybe you're just trying to be a better person or a better husband or maybe you're trying to kick that habit or, or trying to stop that addiction and so you're trying to turn away from the problem. You're trying to turn away from the pain. You're trying to turn away from the hurt or the addiction or the shame. But the challenge is you can't just turn away from you actually have to turn towards. You have to turn towards something. And, and this is really what that word repent and the Bible means, see many of you might have heard this word before and it could have been a context you didn't really understand or maybe it didn't seem like or sound like love to you and that word repent is not just saying I'm sorry God for missing the mark because that's really what sin is, it's missing the mark. All of humanity has missed the mark. The, 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 this, the symptoms of missing the mark is addiction. The symptoms of missing the mark is disease and death. That's the symptoms. But the actual source of sin is simply missing the mark. And, and, and that word repent means not just to ask forgiveness for missing the mark, but it actually means to change your mindset and to do a 180 degree turning from and turning towards. And this is why it's so significant that we don't just turn away from something, but we turn towards something. Many people who receive this incredible gift of grace that was paid for us on the cross, they'll turn away from, 
but they'll never turn towards. In other words, they'll realize that God saved them from something, but then they'll never move towards God saving them for something. I'm gonna say that again, I think that was good. They actually, they just say he saved me from something, but they never step into the God's divine design of realizing they weren't just saved from something, they were actually saved for something. This is the good news, friend. If you're just saved from and you're never saved for, then you're just a rescued victim instead of a redeemed victor. Think about it. If you're just saved from, well then, oh, woe is me, God finally rescued me, but you weren't just saved from something, you were actually saved for something, which means you're not a rescued victim, you're actually a redeemed victor. This is how our God operates. I don't just save you from darkness, I save you for light. I don't just save you from the world, I actually save you for the world. I didn't just save you from sin, I actually saved you for righteousness. That's the great news, that God didn't just rescue us and redeem us and restored us, but he actually releases us into this incredible new life. And this is what the disciples experienced. They, they turned away from and turned towards, and they just kept following Jesus. What, what I love about these earlier believers, these early adopters of this faith, now more people in the world believe in. You know, in a Bible that sold more copies than any other book in human history, 2.5 billion copies. You know, in this moment, what the disciples concluded is that for us to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus, we just have to continue to take the next step. The reality is, is you can't follow someone if you can't see them. So the disciples just created in my mind this, this simple principle, wherever he is, we're going to be. And we're gonna just continue to take the next step. You know what separated them from the crowd, from the critics, from the heretics, from the religious leaders of the day? You know what separated these 12 men from everyone else? It wasn't their pedigree, it wasn't their background, it wasn't that they had it all figured out. As I told you earlier, they constantly misrepresented Jesus. They had anger, they had pride, they had fear, they were confused. The only thing that separated them from everyone else is that the disciples just kept taking the next step. This is the good news. No matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus, no matter how successful you might feel you are, no matter what you're struggling on, you know how you win in life? You just keep taking the next step towards Jesus. You know how you survive COVID? You just can keep taking the next step towards Jesus. You know how you thrive in COVID? You just keep taking the next step towards Jesus. And this is what these disciples did. They just continued to follow Jesus. And that was the secret of their success. Wherever he was, they were gonna be. And one of the great stories of those disciples following Jesus we see in, in Matthew chapter 14. And I'm just gonna paraphrase. You can obviously at home open up the scripture and, and read it yourself. I'm, I'm sweating in a room with no one here. That's how much I'm preaching at you across the screen. But the disciples, it's Matthew 14. The story's laid out. It's about 3 a.m. in the morning. Jesus told the disciples, hey, I want you to get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll, I'll meet you there. The disciples set off. It's 3 a.m., the Bible tells us you're exhausted by the waves and the wind, the winds howling, the waves are raging, the boats rocking, and to make things worse, to be honest, it's back in those days so they didn't have coffee. Imagine a 3 a.m. moment like this without being fully caffeinated, and they have no coffee. And in this scenario, Jesus begins to show up in a form and a fashion they didn't recognize. The, the Bible tells us, and I know it's crazy, it might be hard for you to process, it says that Jesus is defying logic, he's defying reason, he's defying gravity, and he's walking on the water. That's right, he's hovering on the water towards the disciples. And Peter does something that none of us would do. 
Peter says these words. Now, I want you to process. If you're in the boat, just get in the boat for a second. The wind's raging, the boat's rocking, the waves are howling. Like, this is just nonstop. It's 3 a.m. You haven't had coffee. You haven't had Starbucks. Who can get it now anyways, right? So maybe you can relate a little bit. And all of a sudden, there's this Patrick Swayze, a.k.a. ghost, Jesus, walking on a water. And once Peter and the disciples get past the fact that this thing they don't recognize could and is Jesus, you got to think the logical next sentence is this. Jesus, if that's you, get in the boat. Oh, Jesus, it's you, crazy. Oh, that's you on the water? That's nuts. Great, great, great. Just get in the boat. But Peter doesn't say that. Peter says something that none of us would say. He says, Jesus, if that's actually you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Peter gets over the side of the boat after Jesus has come, and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. Now, what's fascinating to me is that this exact same story happened six chapters earlier. It's the exact same story, the exact same setup. Imagine, that this story relates more to your life than you realize. For example, there's 12 disciples. These are the people you're doing life with. Right now, there's a group of people, friends, associates that you're doing life with. Then there's the boat. The boat represents the vehicle in which you're moving your life forward. For some of you, that's a career. For some of you, that's you know, a class you're taking or a course. For some of you, that could be high school or that could be college. For some of you, that could be a relationship. This is the vehicle you're using to move your life forwards. And then there's a storm, which we can all relate to right now, but always. That storm represents that season, that circumstance circumstance, that situation that you're going through. And then, as in every story of our life, there's Jesus. This exact same story exists six chapters earlier. Except six chapters earlier, there's a boat, there's a storm, there's the disciples, and there's Jesus. But six chapters earlier, Jesus is in the boat. So Peter doesn't ask him to get out because he had concluded, remember what I said, wherever you are, Jesus, that's where I'm going to be. If you're in the boat, why would I get out on the water? You're in the boat. But if you're not in the boat, then I gotta be where you are. The question I wanna ask you, friend, right now in this moment is, is Jesus still in your boat? Is Jesus still in that relationship? Is Jesus still in that conversation? Is Jesus still in that attitude? Is Jesus still in that hobby? Is Jesus still in that habit? Because six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, that might have been exactly where Jesus was. Peter's not saying I wanna get out of the boat just because I wanna do something impossible or illogical or impractical. He's saying I wanna get out of the boat because I've concluded that whatever I'm gonna do in life, I'm just gonna be where you are. If you're in the boat, I'm gonna be in the boat. If you're on the water, I'm gonna be on the water. If you're at Jairus' daughter's house, I'm gonna be at Jairus' daughter's house. I'm just gonna be where you are. And the question you need to know, is Jesus still in your boat? Because if he's not in your boat, if he's not in that relationship, if he's not in that conversation, if he's not in that attitude, if he's not in that habit or that hobby or that career, it's time to get out of the boat. Peter begins to get out of the boat. And the reason why Peter could get out of the boat in the midst of a storm, the reason why Peter could, could get out of a boat with the waves raging and the wind howling and the boat rocking. You want to know why? I believe Peter was convinced. He had this mindset that it did not matter what he was walking in and it did not matter what he was walking on. All that mattered is who he was walking towards. I'm going to say that again. This is so good. At least I'm enjoying it. I hope you are at home or wherever you're watching. He looked at the circumstance. He saw the wind. He saw the waves. He saw the boat rocking. He was about to do a miracle that no one had ever done in human history outside of Jesus right now in this moment. But he had postured his faith that it did not matter what I'm walking on and it does not matter what I'm walking in, a storm. All that matters is who I'm walking towards a person. And can I tell you something? This is how we navigate every season and every situation of life. 
The reality is, is that we didn't need a crisis to, to tell us that this life is fragile and volatile and here one day and God the moment we have a life and have to manage the tensions where one day you're celebrating a wedding and the next day you're at a funeral. One day you're there when your friend's having their brand new baby and the next day there you're holding your friend's hand who just had their third miscarriage. One day you're celebrating someone getting the, you know, the job of a lifetime and other day you're, you're having to mourn with someone who just got diagnosed with cancer. One day it's a mountaintop, and the next day it's a valley, one day it's a trial, the next day it's a triumph. Let's just be honest, there's so much differences and tensions in our seasons. How do we keep moving forward? We have to conclude, it does not matter what I'm walking on, it does not matter what I'm walking in, all that matters is who I am walking towards. And here's the good news for those of you who are watching who might not be familiar with this community. We're not asking you to walk towards a set of principles, or guidelines, or regulations, or checklists, or, or, or a, a, a merit system that says you've done good, now you are good. No, we're not walking towards ideologies and just precepts and dogmas. We have the privilege of walking towards a person, a person who predicted his death, who conquered death, sin, in the grave, who carried the weight of your pain, your shame, your sin, your missing the mark on his shoulders so that you could have a life that you didn't. The invitation from Jesus is don't walk to some rules or some written texts. Walk to me, a living entity, the creator and reigning champion of humanity. Peter is walking out on the water and he begins to sink. The Bible tells us he begins to fall. In essence, he begins to fail. And many people believe that Peter begins to fall, begins to sink, begins to fail because of the presence of fear. A lot of people have said Peter was gripped with fear as he was in the middle of faith, so he begins to sink, he begins to fall, he begins to fail. But I want to propose to you something different today. I really believe Peter didn't sink because of the presence of fear. Because think about this. The scripture tells us in Matthew 14 that they were all afraid before he got out of the boat. The disciples were all terrified. They were all overwhelmed by the waves, the winds. They were all afraid, the Bible tells us. So Peter had fear. Get me, friend. Peter had fear before he got out of the boat. Faith is not ignoring fear. Faith is being very aware of fear and choosing a different option. He literally was very afraid, but then he focused on Jesus, and he began to walk. But then the Bible tells us he turned his attention off of Jesus and back to the waves and the wind, and then he began to sink, which means this. Peter didn't begin to sink or fall or fell because of the presence of fear. Peter began to sink. He began to fail. He began to begin to fall because of the absence of focus. Hear me again. He did not fall because of the presence of fear. He began to fall because of the absence of focus, which is what I've realized, friend, is how you have faith over fear is not ignoring fear and holding on to faith. It's actually a focus issue. What I've realized is that the greater your focus, the greater your faith. And the littler your focus is, the littler your faith. And for many of you that have believed for a long time, let's just be honest, in the middle of this, you might somehow be responding to fear, but if you were to search down inside, you didn't lose your faith, you didn't lose your belief, you've just in the middle of it lost your focus. What's actually going on around you has become greater in your mind than the person who's actually right next to you, beside you. And this is what I've realized. The enemy doesn't need to destroy our faith. All he needs to do is distract, dilute, and distort our focus. I'm gonna say that again. The enemy does not, friend, need to destroy your faith. All he has to do is distract, dilute, 
and to tour your focus. And for the next few moments we have together, I want to talk quickly about three ways, quickly, the enemy wants to destroy, distract, and dilute our faith. Number one, taking notes, if you're taking notes, do it quickly. Number one, the way the enemy wants to distract, dilute, and destroy our, our focus is by getting us to focus on the small things. He wants to get us to focus on the small things. Look at Matthew 6 with me, verse 27. It says, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Let's just stop right there. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Friend, I'll just tell you something. What I've realized, worry doesn't work. That's what the author is trying to tell you. Can all of this worrying actually improve, add value, add a moment to your life? No, what is he trying to say? Guess what? Worry will never work. And he says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon and all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Now look at that phrase. It says, why do you have so little faith? Now if you've noticed what Jesus said. He said, why are you looking at what you're gonna wear? Why are you focused on these small things? And then he says, listen, your focus on these small things is actually creating little faith. Look at it, why do you have so little faith? He said, so why do you worry about these things? Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Look at this in the NIV, verse 33. And I know for those of you that are part of the Water of Life community, you're used to quoting verses. So let's just say this. This verse 33 together. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I want us to ask ourselves, friend. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Are you seeking a permission? Are you seeking a promotion? Are you seeking accolades? Are you seeking approval? Are you seeking a title? Are you seeking a certain level of income? Are you seeking a certain relationship? What are you seeking? Because what I've learned is I've seen friends in my life seek those things first, but not God or God's kingdom, and they get that relationship, and they lost their purpose. And they get that career, and they lost their divine design. And they finally get that income, and they've lost their soul, and they've lost their happiness. But what I've learned in my life is those that actually seek God first, get all these other things added unto them. When you seek God, he's gonna take care of your family. When you seek God, he's gonna take care of your finances. When you seek God, he's gonna be the self promoter. He's going to guide every one of your steps. He's going to direct where you go and what you do. His hand and favor will be upon you. But you could seek these things first before God and you could get that thing. But in an attempt, you actually lose God. A better way to make this practical is when you woke up this morning, what did you do first? And I know that feels maybe a little intense and I invaded your space, but let's just be honest. When you woke up this morning, when you've been waking up in the season of crisis, what's the first thing you run to? Is it to your bank account? Is it, to, you know, is it to the news? Is it to social media? Is it to Facebook? Is it to a text thread? Like, what do you run to first? And even if you have no faith, I just want to encourage you, insert 
something before all those other things. Now, I would say insert the scripture and insert prayer and insert God, but maybe you're saying, I don't even know where to start. Well, you know, right here at Water of Life, there's the daily devotional with Pastor Dan. That would be a great place to start. Before you run to check your bank account or run to check your social media or run to check the news, why don't you just pull into that Water of Life morning devotional with Pastor Dan and go, I'm just gonna put this layer of faith before I look at anything else. And what I realize is faith isn't just something we stand on, it becomes a lens in which we look at everything through. Seek him first. The second way the enemy wants to destroy and dilute our focus. One, he wants us to focus on the small things. Number two, he wants us to focus on too many things. Now, if we were to be honest, pre-COVID, if we were to be honest, pre-COVID, our life would have been summed up, especially in a Western culture, as too busy. If you think about our life pre-crisis, our life would have been summed up on everything and anything fighting for our attention. But right now, so many things that were part of our routine or our quote unquote busyness have stopped. And you might be sitting there saying, all the things I would identify as or be known for or created my social mojo is all gone. What do I do? What do I focus on now? And it reminds me of a conversation Jesus had with some religious leaders. They came up to Jesus and they're actually trying to trap him and say, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Now, you might know the Charleston Heston version of the Ten Commandments, but by the time Jesus shows up, this culture, this Jewish culture, had 613 commandments. They're trying to trick Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's 613. you got to pick one. Which one's the most important commandment? Which one should we follow? And I love Jesus' response, because this is what I want you to know, friend. When, when you begin to follow Jesus and he becomes the lens you look through, life's simple. Like this life, following him is actually more simple than you think. Somehow we make it complicated, but it's super simple. Jesus says, I know there's all these commandments, but let me just tell you something. Just focus on these two things. He says, one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And number two, which he says is equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Did you get it? Super simple. What should we be focusing on? We don't need to be focused on too many things because if the enemy can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. We have to simplify our lives and just focus on a few things. And Jesus lays out the secret to our success. Listen, you wanna do two things every day. Love God and love others. You wanna know what being a believer or a Christian is all about? Simple, love God, love others. If you wanna know how to discover your destiny, you know what you do every day, wake up and say, what can I do today to love God? And what can I do today to love others? In fact, you can minimize your life to two actions, two simple steps every day. What am I gonna do today? Love God, love others. What am I gonna do tomorrow? Love God, love others. What am I gonna do the next day? Love God and love others. And if you continue to love God and love others, you're gonna find the right spouse. You're gonna be in God's purpose. You're gonna be in God's will because you're moving one step towards him and one step towards others. When Jesus becomes the lens of our life, our life becomes simple. Love God and love others. Number three, and we're gonna close with this. If keys do come up, I'm down with that. If not, I'll, go, I'll just keep going. Number three, the devil wants to dilute and distract our focus by number one, getting to focus on the small things. Number two, he wants us to focus on too many things. And number three, he wants us to focus on the old things. He wants us to focus on the old things. And here's what I've learned, friend. Sometimes the enemy of our next step is our last step. Sometimes the enemy of our next step is our last step. And it's not because it was a misstep or a mistake. I want you to hear me. It could be because in your mind, your last step, hear me, was your best step. 
what I've realized, the greatest enemy of our future is when we think the glory days are behind us. Many of you that are older than me, or as I would say more adequately, more established than me, you've done more life than me. If you were to be honest, we've used these words. Those were the glory days. For those of you who are part of the Jesus movement, those were the glory days. Or in 1995, like those were the best days. And not recognizing that we actually can begin to destroy our future by thinking the best part of our life was actually in our past. We actually conclude our best days were our yesterdays not our next days. And we begin to just think about the past. And I love what Paul says in Philippians. He says these words. He says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward towards Jesus. I'm not running and I'm not turning back. And the NLT says it this way. I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Can I tell you something, friend? I just want to go on record. Your best days are not your yesterdays. And the reason why I know that is because one of the promises from our God is that he's going to take us from glory to average. No, no, no. no. For those watching like Jedediah, that's not right. No, 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 you're right. He's going to take us from glory to okay. He's going to take us from glory to, man, this really sucks. He can take us from glory to worst times of my life. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's going to take us from glory to glory to glory to more of him, to more understanding, to more fruit, to more impact, to more of his presence, to more of his experiences, to bigger, to better. That's what the Bible says. He's taking us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, which means our best days, church, are not our yesterdays. Our best days are our next days. And how dare we believe that just because we're in a season of crisis that it's never going to get better, that there's nothing great about what's taking place. But I want to inspire you, encourage you today. The best days of water or life are in front of it. The best days for this family and this faith community are in front of it. The best days for your family, for your career, for your life are not your yesterdays, but your, it's your next days because God's gonna take us through it and bring us to something even greater. It's gonna take us from glory to glory. But it's only gonna start by shifting our focus back onto him. I almost can go back to this story I opened with and I can just feel Father God, I can just feel Jesus, his spirit sitting there saying, hey, wherever you're watching, whatever journey you're in, whatever season you're in, with your mistakes, with your challenges, with your problems, with your shortcomings, with your fears, with your failures, with your worries, with your anxieties, and they're going, hey, you have all of my attention. Would you shift your focus on me in this moment, in this season? Would you shift your attention on me, trust. It's almost like he's saying, I know you're in a storm and I'm not look like in your boat, I'm out on the water. Trust me, yeah, I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna guide you. I'm gonna cover you. I've got a plan for you. I've already seen this coming. Trust me, focus on me. And would you be willing for those watching, whether you're part of this community or not, would you be willing to shift your focus onto Jesus? feel like the word for all of us, for myself included, Jedediah, it's time to shift your focus off of what you can make and shift it on to what you were made for. It's time to shift your focus off of what you can gain 
and onto what you can give. It's time to shift your focus off of your comfort and onto your calling. It's time to shift your focus from making a living to making a difference. It's time to shift your focus from earthly existence to eternal significance. It's time to shift your focus from your past onto his plan, from your pain onto his promise, from your shame onto his salvation. It's time to shift our focus from what we're walking on and what we're walking in to the person called Jesus Christ that we're walking towards. It's time to shift our focus from keeping up with the Joneses to keeping up with Jesus because we have a God who does not want our glance. We have a God who wants our gaze. He wants your focus. As we close this conversation, thank you for allowing me to be open and transparent, for even allowing me to be a part of this community. Really wanna end praying for one group of people out there, one individual, and if me and you were just to be masked up and having a COVID-friendly, safe conversation with no one around, after hearing this message, you might say, Jedediah, I just gotta be honest, my focus has been on the wrong things I've turned away from, but I've never turned forward. Jedediah, I'm focused on the small things or the old things or too many things. Jedediah, but you know, if I actually were to assess myself, uh, I, I, I got this hurt, I got this pain, I got this addiction. If you were to be honest with me, you might simply say these words, Jedediah, I need help. And if you're today saying you need help, your soul's saying you need Jesus. He's the only one that can make sense of this mess. He's the only one that can fill that God-sized shape hole in your heart. He's the only one that can turn chaos into clarity. He's the only one that can take what's broken and make something beautiful. And the beautiful thing is, friend, this is nothing you could earn. This is nothing we deserve. This is nothing we could work for or ever be worthy of. This is a gift we receive. And if you're out there today and you said in this hypothetical conversation that we had, have you said, Jedediah, I need help, friend. Today you need Jesus. And it's super simple. You're not saying you got it all figured out. You're not saying you're not gonna make another mistake. You're not saying that you're gonna do all the right things tomorrow, but what you are saying is view of what Jesus did for you in light of eternity. This thing that he's given us called immortality. You wanna be right with God. You wanna receive this gift of grace. And if that's you, this is all you have to do. Eyes open, it's okay if you can't bow your heads or formally repeat after me, just say these words. Jesus, I need you. I need your help. But you're coming to my heart right now. That's all you gotta say. Just say it wherever you're at. Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I receive your gift. Would you come into my heart today? You know, friend, if that's you, wherever you're watching, if you said that, I just want you to do two things as we get ready to turn it back over. One, you have the ability right now to text in. You can text to the number 818-818, simply the word Jesus. 818, number's gonna be on the screen. 818-818, the word Jesus. And here's what Pastor Dan and the leadership here are gonna do to you. If you text in right now, you have a group of people that are gonna help you with your next step, but they're also gonna send you a free book. Do you realize that without being able to shake your hand and give you a hug and do all the things you'd wanna do, cry together, laugh together, hear your full story, they wanna continue the journey with you. And if you text in right now, you're gonna get this free book, Into the Heart of God. It's a 90-day devotional by Pastor Dan. You don't wanna miss this opportunity. Have you said that prayer and you meant it, you needed it, and you need Jesus, friend? Text in, 818-818-JESUS. I just wanna encourage you, friend, in the midst of all the fear, in the midst of our storm, there's faith. And you might say, I don't feel it, Jed. You don't have to feel it. You just have to shift your focus off of the problem onto a person, and his name is Jesus. 
pray you have an incredible week. Thank you for your time. Well, I don't know about you, but that message spoke right to me. And it's a word that we all need in this time, right? To, to choose faith over fear and to set our focus on Jesus. And like Pastor Jedediah just said, if, if you tonight made a decision to, to follow Jesus for the first time or maybe for the second time, a rededication of your life, to make that 180 turn from one thing to turn to something else, and that's Jesus. And we wanna say, we are so proud of you. We are so happy for you. And we wanna walk with you. So like he said, you can text the word Jesus, the name Jesus, the name above all names, Jesus, to 818-818. Or right now we have pastors that are online that would love to talk with you, love to pray with you, love to walk with you into what that next step is gonna look like for you. So you can call them at 909-463-0103. Again, you can text or you can call and we are here for you and wanna walk with you in this next season of your life. But for the rest of us, um, we are so glad that you joined us for this service today. We are so blessed to have an amazing church community like you, a part of what God is doing here at Water of Life. And if you, like I said at the beginning of the service, if you want to stay up to date on all the things that are happening around here, virtually, online, um, you can go to wallupdates.com and follow up with anything that's taking place. But as always, we love you guys so much. We can't wait to see you on Wednesday for a Bible study with Pastor Dan, um, and we are so excited excited to see what this week holds. So stay home, stay safe. God bless. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.